You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Such a blessing. During that last song, I just was moved with gratitude as I looked over and saw some kids just getting crazy with the instruments that they were pretending to play and um, listening to you sing. I get the privilege of sitting here with some of y'all up in the front where we get to hear people behind us singing and I get to hear the people in front of us singing and I just had this glimpse, and which is what we should have, this glimpse of my eternity that I do not deserve, that I have not earned, that I get to experience that over and over and over and over, and I could keep going. It's just a beautiful thought and reality to know what awaits us who are God's children. If you want to know more about the, the facts of heaven, uh, and you want, and, and up to this point, your thoughts and facts about heaven have been what you've been seeing in cartoons or Bugs Bunny or somebody else has written certain things. Um, uh, this book has helped me probably as much as any resource I've ever bought for my joy and my faith uh, outside of the Word of God. It's a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Uh, I've shared it before. There was a season in my ministry when I was um, uh, on the brink of really getting into some, some depressed seasons and moments, and I wrote at the front of this book that I, I hope that this book will restore and rekindle a hope and a faith. And I didn't make it three chapters in where I saw God do that. So I don't know why you haven't ordered it yet. Even while I'm talking about it, you got phones. You should be ordering it right now. Um, There was a time where I thought this will be what we give to every new member of our church, but that's expensive. And so just go buy the book. And uh, during the season of Advent, we, we take the time to focus on different themes as we move toward Christmas Day. We actually launched this the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and David Laws presented uh, to us some wonderful exhortation from Romans chapter 8. If you were here, you remember this, that we talked about uh, that what we see in Romans 8 is this, this calling and this reality of groaning in this day, and groaning to glory. We were reminded that our life here involves both a groaning and also a hoping. We live in a world now where the shalom is shattered. David reminded us what that word shalom that we see all throughout the Old Testament means. Just to read the definition again, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. But now, this world is weary. But we can still rejoice in this weary world because of the gift and the promises of Christ. David led us to consider these things found in Romans 8 and through other parts of Scripture. In the last week, we had Kyle Cheatham come up and our first real thematic word of Advent, the word hope, he also launched from Romans 8 and he unpacked this word hope and 
what we can have from it. We were reminded that hope is the opposite of despair. And that Christian hope is grounded in what Christ has done while groaning for what Christ will do. Christian hope is grounded in the truths and the facts of what we know Christ has done, but also involves this groaning of what we know Christ has promised to do. Hope, hope is a Godward groaning. Hope is a worshipful waiting as we fight the feelings that we have with the facts of God's word. That was good stuff. I'm glad that these brothers of mine brought this word. It encouraged me. Today, we consider our new thematic word for the day, and it is faith. And my belief that faith and hope are almost always linked together in the Christian life. I think that you cannot have hope without having faith. We have hope that reaching the shoreline is a good thing because we believe that the shoreline is good and beautiful. We have this, this fact-driven thing that we're swimming toward the shoreline knowing and believing that when we get there, what we get when we get there is good. And since David launched from Romans 8 and Kyle launched us from Romans 8, and Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, and naturally, I am launching from 1 Peter. It is what it is. When it comes to faith, I must recognize that both God and Jason have a part to play in this chemistry of my growing faith. Not in the way that you would expect. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Sam read it earlier, but we're going to look at it again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, <coughs> Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6 it's in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. Father, thank you for this amazing word of truth. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done. Holy Spirit, we ask you, please move right now in this place. I I believe there are people struggling with faith right now. I pray that you would help that individual that keeps returning back to lesser things for pleasure, lesser things for hope. The person in this room is stressed out and anxious about their family or how money is working or or how the suffering and how the sickness and how this weariness of this world is encroaching in on them. Oh God, please, Holy Spirit, give us faith, I pray. Grow it however you must. We are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Peter begins this letter with this amazing and beautiful blessing, doesn't he? Didn't you catch it? Blessed be the God, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you catch the amazing way this starts out? How he launches into this blessing? Uh, one commentator puts this about this beginning of this letter. Significantly, before Peter does anything else, he rises to pronounce a blessing to God. His introductory prayer of praise sounds strikingly like, strikingly close to the ancient Hebrew prayer called the Shemona Ezrae, the 18 blessings, the 18 blessings, said 18 times when they say it. The 18 blessings were recited three times each day in the synagogue. So three times each day, times 18. And each one ended with the refrain, blessed be thou, O Lord. So just imagine the words, blessed be thou, O Lord, cascading no fewer than 54 times a day in the house of God. And Peter begins this letter with this familiar blessing which the Jewish people would have known, would have recognized, and notice what Peter does. He directly connects this blessing with Jesus Christ. No longer just blessed be thou, O Lord, who's away, who's distant. Blessed be thou, O Lord, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we get this blessing. Emmanuel, the Lord who we used to say 18 times a day, every day, three times, has come and dwelt among us. He continues to proclaim that it is through God's mercy that they have this living hope in Jesus. And then we see what Kyle and David were talking about the last two weeks as Peter reveals in verse 4 what this shoreline is that we're 
we're swimming toward? What is this blessed hope? What is this promise? It says we are caused to be born again to a living hope through Christ to something. Let me be honest here. What we think about the next few words makes a big difference in our hope today. What we believe is the fill-in of the blank caused to be born again to a living hope through Jesus to the next few words matter a lot. Some will take the first part and they'll fill in the blank like this. Blessed be the God caused us to be born again to a living hope, to a healthy body right here and right now, through Jesus to a life with no pain and no suffering. We are caused to be born again through Jesus to bigger houses and more land, more favor in the country, more favor in the city. Some people will fill in the blank, cause to be born again through Jesus to popularity or wealth or athletic success or some sort of raise and rise of status in our jobs or some sort of rise to elite social status amongst those to more wealth or to more health or to smarter kids or to in-laws that treat us great. Calls to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to no problems, no suffering at all. There are people right now all over this country and this world preaching that very thing, filling the blanks in how they want to fill the blanks in. And they're leading people to have faith in themselves. Cause to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to our best life right here, right now. And we don't have to do anything. We don't have to be anything. Uh, it's all welcome for us. And if we don't experience it right here, right now, then we're broken. We're not believing enough. We're not doing enough. Uh, that's not what the scripture says. This is not what we've been born again to. I like crossword puzzles. Anybody else like crossword puzzles? There's a, f okay. Um, it's, so this is my moment where I can call you out like, it's okay. We can all be part of that nerdy bunch that on my day off, one of my favorite things, Kelly asked me, what do you want to do tomorrow? And she knows the answer is going to be what I love to do is wake up, make my brew coffee, and I love to sit at my desk, and I love to have my devotional with the Lord, and then I love to get into the puzzle. Put my glasses on. I'm going to be honest, most of the time I'll put on some worship music, but there's times John Denver makes a, a showing or some sort of Neil Diamond, whatever it is. It's just something that gets my mind going. I get into the crossword puzzle, and you're like, why in the world does this matter? Because crossword puzzles, there are right answers for the right spots to put into the puzzle for the puzzle to work. There are no shortcuts. You can't make up words and just put them in and go, hey, I'm working this really quick. 
Man, I'm putting it here. I'm putting it here. For example, I need a five-letter word for skin art. If you write in warts, you may get to move on to the next question, but it's going to wreck the rest of the puzzle. It's going to cause a lot of problems with the rest of the puzzle that you want to complete. Let's look with me again at verse 3. He calls us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm going to fill in the blank, not with warts, but with the right answer, to an inheritance. To something that's coming, that's not here yet. To something that I will inherit that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept. Where? In heaven. For you, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. As Christians, we were adopted by God our Father, our Creator, our Lord. We are now His children, and we stand to inherit something. Our living hope is all about the promised inheritance. Jesus talked about this promised inheritance to His disciples. Peter was given faith to believe this, and he's now sharing this news with this second generation of believers. And we see four descriptions of the promised inheritance for us. Did you catch them? If you didn't, we're going to spend some time on them. First word is imperishable. Your inheritance from the creator of all things is imperishable. What does this mean? Not able to be destroyed. It is a rock-solid inheritance. It doesn't run dry. It endures forever. One description of the word imperishable is the weird word deathless. I like that. My inheritance from God who saved me is deathless. It's undefiled. That means no more shattered Shalom, no more stains, no more brokenness, no more threat of corrupting the beauty or making it full of spots, no conditional clauses of this and of that, and this has to be worked out, and this right prayer needs to be prayed, and this right thing needs to happen for this inheritance. No, it's undefiled, and it's assigned by the perfect and the holy righteousness, purity will be the ethos. It'll be the reality. There's no threat of confusion, no threat of what-ifs, no threat of deception. It is an inheritance that is deathless. It is an inheritance without any potential of stain. It's unfading. No shadow of darkness, nothing to hide that which is glorious and pure and beautiful and true. All things will shine forth. There is no fog keeping us from the glory of the shoreline. There are no blank spaces in the puzzle. Everything's filled in. It is fullness of truth and 
way more glorious than me looking at the last answer, filling in that last blank of the crossword puzzle where I go, aha, I'm brilliant. I put the puzzle in the garbage. No, this isn't like that. This is aha, God, you're brilliant. And this just is going to keep going over and over and over as all the puzzles and answers have been completed, not fading at all. Did you catch the fourth thing? It's kept in heaven for you. No darkness lurking to snatch it away from us. No schemes or tricks or fine print that we didn't read on. It's protected. It's kept without perishing. It's kept without corruption. It's kept without fading. This is good news. This, for some reason, Y'all are asleep in, and I don't get it. This is when we were singing caused me to stop and just weep and go, wow, that's the shoreline kept in heaven. Notice what and how it's kept. Kept in heaven by God's power. Peter in his final days is sending a very clear message to these second generation believers. A reminder that we will outlive and we will outlast all the shattered shalom that we are living in now. In this world, we will not have everything that we want to name and to claim. What we do have is the promise of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven by the power of God. But now we do live in this crossword puzzle type of life where things are just odd and weird and confusing and fading and troubling and we don't know the answers to everything, some things that we'll just don't get, some things we don't understand and we cannot see. For now, it does seem like we're just swimming and swimming and swimming toward the shore and the fog comes and the fog goes and the fog comes. But we notice here in this text that God, even though this is our life now, we're swimming in this and the inheritance is coming, we notice that he involves us in this also. Who by God's power, we are being guarded through faith. Through faith. And then verse 6 says, in this you rejoice. Kyle last week said something I never heard before. He said, it would be great if every time we looked at a scripture, we just said, amen. But there's a lot of times you look at scripture and you go, oh my. This is one of those moments for me. Okay, wait a minute. This says, we got an inheritance. It's being guarded by God's power. And it's being guarded by God's power through faith. And I'm supposed to rejoice. Are you rejoicing that your faith linked with God's power is what's protecting your inheritance? Is there something in you welling up and you going, oh, yeah, amen. Yeah, it's through my faith that all of that on the shoreline is waiting for me. It's through my faith. It's through my faith. Perhaps instead of being thrilled right now, you are realizing, oh, no, 
I don't know if I have the faith to get there. I don't know even this week if I believed with the strength that it takes to get there. But this says, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at that time, so in this we rejoice. How come I'm not ready to rejoice? Well, these last couple weeks, uh, we've sort of been picking on the swimmer Florence Chadwick, haven't we? For those of you here, it's the story of a brave young woman who in her first attempt came short of her goal of swimming the 26 miles from the Catalina Islands to the California coast. And just to remind you of the story, she had trained for this, she had worked for this, she put people around her in support boats around her, and after 15 hours of struggle in swimming, she begged to be pulled out of the water, uh, falling short of her goal, quitting less than just a mile away from her goal. And the reason was is because the fog had come in and she couldn't see that right there. If she could have just, she was even told, if I could have just seen the shoreline, I would have kept swimming. So David brought it up. Kyle brought it up. It would be normal for me to bring it up and talk about it too, right? We can relate to that story. We don't like the fog distracting us from what we can't see and messing up our faith. Seeing does help with our hope, doesn't it? Okay, good. Okay, make sure. Okay. It does. But it wasn't just the fog that kept her from seeing. She stopped trusting. She stopped trusting in a couple things. She stopped trusting in her disciplined training regiment. She had to have practiced and known. I'm swimming at this pace, at this time, in these waters. She had trained for it. She should have known, okay, by my pace and what's going on, it should be right here. She trained and trained and trained, and in the moment, the fog caused her to lack the trust in what she had trained. She had, the facts were slipping away. She also lost trust in those beside her who were talking to her, who were helping her. When the fog rolled in, she lost hope because she had lost faith in the facts. What Kyle was talking about last week. Faith is so important to our hope, faith is everything in our relationship with God. Here, what we see Peter is saying is that our inheritance is being held, it's being kept by the power of God through what? The faith that we have. Faith is important. True rejoicing and celebrating is absent when we lack faith. Sure, we might put on the churchy smile and say the churchy language and feel the churchy vibes when they play our song or when we have the, the right preacher preaching or this person doing something for us or when the right person comes and shakes our hand. There's that feeling, and that's all good, but as soon as we walk out of here and we get on to our, our swimming toward the shoreline, we're, we, we lose that. Why? Why? 
here's what we can take. One of the main things I want us to take away from this passage from Peter. And what Peter is telling the second generation of believers is this. God cares more about your faith than even you do. He cares more about your faith, your growing faith, than even you care about it. It is by his power that our faith is guarded. So how does God, by his power, guard my inheritance through my faith? What is he doing to show that he cares for my faith? This is what we see in this text. We're going to look at Hebrews in just a second. But let's look at this in verse 3. First of all, here's what God is doing. God gives you faith. He cares so much about your faith that he's going to wrap it up and give it to you as a gift. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again. He calls us to be born again to a living hope. It was not our reasoning or our thinking or our good works or our family tree, nationality, status in the community that saved us. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that caused us to be born again when he caused us to believe in this. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you walk into the front of this building, you look up, you'll see this text right in the rock and the stone. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God cares more about your faith. First of all, we see it in that we need to recognize it is a gift given to you by God. If we don't say anything else, we should leave here going, thank you, God, for the faith that is a gift from you. God gives us our faith as a gift that he cares deeply about. And he continues to oversee our faith. Secondly, God purifies your faith. Who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who wants our faith to be better and stronger, more than you, more than us? God does. How unloving it would be for a parent to give their child a bicycle for Christmas in the box and say, Merry Christmas. Enjoy. Look what I bought you. I did this. I worked all year, saved all this money. I brought this home to you. There it is. And the child looks up at the parent, not knowing, having a clue how even to put it together. God not only constructed the bicycle of your faith, 
how unloving would it be to construct the bicycle for your child and to then also say, good luck. What does a good parent do? Let's go learn how to ride this. And with the rider, with the child, the good parent at certain times will run behind him. There's going to come a point where he's going to have to let go of the child and the child's going to have to feel the reality of gravity and know, okay, i got to learn falling this way, leaning this way is going to cause this to happen. What's the child learning? Learning how to balance, learning how to, what's, what's the word? Ride, I guess. Ride the bike in freedom and joy. Do you remember the first time your parent let go, the fear, the concern, what are you doing? Don't you care? I just banged everything up. And then do you remember the feeling when you made it further than you've ever made it? There's nothing like it. Some of you need to learn how to ride a bike to get that, I guess. I don't know. But God gives us the gift He helps us to grow and construct it. He's done all of that work. He keeps us from putting the wrong answers in the puzzle and putting it together in our lives so that the whole puzzle, the whole life is us swimming, riding freely to the shoreline. He gives us this gift. He's purifying this gift of faith. And that's why we read one of those oh my passages in James where James has the audacity to say this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He gives faith. It's a gift. He oversees the construction and the working of your faith and the strengthening and the purifying of your faith. And thirdly, God holds our faith. Though you not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a gift that is held by God. God cares about your faith more than you do. This is good news. This is very good news. God is doing all of these things for your growing faith, for your joy, for you can have that moment on the shoreline where all eternity is unfading and undefiled and kept for you. Faith is a big deal. God cares more about your faith than you do, but we should care about our faith. A few passages in Hebrews. In fact, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Hebrews. We have this section in Hebrews 10 through Hebrews 12 that, again, is more of that, oh, my, what is really being said here? In Hebrews 10, verse 38, we see this. The righteous shall live by what? Go ahead and say it. The righteous shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, is what it says. Faith is important. It's important so that we don't quit. It's important that we don't lose heart. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's that 
Believing in the facts, right? It's the conviction of things not seen. For by it, faith, the people of old received their commendation. Faith should be important to you. Growing faith should be important to you. Later in verse 6 of chapter 11, we read this, that in without faith is impossible to please him. So according to the writer of Hebrews, faith is important, and it's, we know it's important to God. Is it important to you? Are you working to grow your faith with God and his strength? You may be like, well, Jason, I'd love to. I don't want to be lacking faith. What is it I'm supposed to do? Merry Christmas. We'll see you next. It worked for Kyle. I didn't think it'd work here. But anyway, what is our faith? What is our place in the growing of our faith? We come to Hebrews chapter 12. I, I love this text. Re, look, look with me with just with verse 1. We don't have time to unpack the, all of verses 1 through 13, which is what I planned to do, but we don't have time. But we see enough in verse 1 to at least get you going and get you started, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, what's happening there? From Hebrews 10 to this moment in Hebrews 12, we are given these examples of people who by faith did this, by faith were this, by faith were this. So we have this understanding that we have people around us, people before us, people coming after us that can witness of the goodness of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Not going to spend a long time here, but you see right there in that text, there are things that we should do for our faith to grow. I saw it happen this morning. We should let off the things that are encumbering us. So that we can run more free. I saw it when I was over here talking to Tom Moore. And Adam Rowe comes zipping around right over here at the front. And KJ's chasing after him. They're going fast. But I'm going to be honest. Is KJ here? Okay. All right. So anyway, hang in there with me. Adam's distance was growing. He's fast, right? And I saw right about here, KJ had layers on. And she throws that jacket off. It leaves it there. By the time she got back there, there was another layer that was coming off. And then by the time they came back around, I didn't see KJ with shoes, with jacket, with anger. She was running right with Adam. And I thought, ah, that is the perfect illustration of how we ought to be running in our life. Do you see other brothers and sisters that just seem like their faith, no matter what, is not shaken? What is it in your life you need to let go of? The things that you're holding too closely to that's keeping you from swimming harder and faster and running like God has created you to run. We need to let those go. But here's the very practical thing that links us back to the relationship. There's way more here in Hebrews chapter 12, but we're just going to camp out on this one assignment. Verse 1 We're surrounded by witnesses, lay down the weight that clings so closely, let us run with endurance. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder 
and the perfecter of what? Our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against themselves so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The word faint-hearted literally can be translated, so you do not lose faith. What can I do? God's promised this. He's done this. He cares more about my faith than I do, but one thing I can do is look to Jesus. Follow Jesus. He is the founder of our faith. Isn't that what Peter is saying here? He caused us to be born again. He is the founder of our faith. He is the perfecter of your faith. He's the one working and training you. One of the earliest verses I ever memorized in high school was Philippians 1.6. If you're going to memorize something, students, this is a good one to memorize because there were times that I would convince myself or the enemy would allow me to convince myself that I've blown it, it's done, I can't ever get that kind of hope and that endurance. And this text was beautiful for me. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful and will complete it. Church, he's not only the founder of your faith, he started it. He's going to finish it. Have hope in that as a fact. He gets results. That's what Peter is saying back in our Peter text, that if necessary, he's going to use trials to burn off those things that for some reason you've not let go of yet. Hebrews 12 says, let them go. They're entangling you. They're encroaching in on you. Let them go. Cast them off. Jesus, more committed to us, is going to burn them off if you don't let them off. I'm that committed to your faith. Not only is he the perfecter, the author, He's the model of our faith. We're out of time with really explaining what it means that he modeled for us faith, what this verse means in verse 3 and verse 2. But here's what I want to encourage you with. The first words that Jesus spoke to Peter are the same exact last words that he spoke to Peter. Follow me. First words before Peter even knew who he was, follow me. And there was a lot of stories we know about Peter. How he's blown it, how he overspoke, how he denied even knowing Christ, how he ran like a coward, how he didn't do any of these things right. Very last words, follow me. When you don't know what to do, follow Christ. He's your perfecter. He's the author and he is the model of our faith and Going back to our text in Peter, it's in these things that we can 
rejoice. This is what the Lord's Supper is. This is what communion is. It is a reminder. We see in Hebrews this constant um, reminder of, don't you remember? Have you forgotten? Don't forget. We see in Peter, don't forget. Remember these things. It is a reminder that if you're suffering, if you're groaning, if you're swimming in the fog now, Jesus has done it. And he's for you. He's with you. He came and died in our place. And he rose again three days later so that he can communicate to you like he did to Peter. Follow me. When you take of the communion, you'll come. There's going to be a gluten-free place over here. But everyone else, if you can just come when the music starts, you'll take the cup and you'll take the first layer off. And that first layer is where you'll find the bread which represents the body of Christ that he laid down for you. You'll take that. And then you'll peel the next layer off, and that's the cup that represents him and his blood, which is pure, that paid for your sins. And every time we do this, we remember the author, the perfecter, and the example of our faith. And we take it and we say, I am not perfect, but I'm going to keep swimming. I know his hand is still on the backseat of my bike helping me, showing me how to ride, showing me how to go. And this Christmas, my prayer for all of us is that we would rejoice, not in how perfect our faith is, but how perfect he is and how much he cares about our faith. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful to you. And we rejoice this morning. You have sent your son. You didn't send us a bicycle. You didn't send us houses. You didn't send us us money. I mean, you do send us those things. But God, you sent us your son because you care about my faith. You through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection, have, with all of that power, you're preserving our faith. God, if there's anyone here in this room who is struggling with the fog of life, please break through right now and help them to fix their eyes on the author and the perfecter of their faith, the one who is more committed to them than even they are. We love you, Jesus. We love you and we thank you for saving us. We thank you for holding us. And we thank you that even in the trials, you are working to bring us home. Thank you. 